So it is Christmas time. If you can see, there's lights and Christmas trees, all that good stuff, but I don't want to skip Thanksgiving. I really hope that you all had a good Thanksgiving and ate a lot of food. Uh, In my family, uh, basically it goes like this, family, right? We get to spend time with each other. Then you got tons of food that we'll be eating for about 50 more weeks of the year. It's crazy, right? And then we have football. So on Thursday morning, me and uh, my siblings, my dad, get a bunch of people together. We play football. And so I'm still sore from that game on Thursday, which means I'm getting old. And so it's pretty rough. And all I did was all-time quarterback. So yes, I didn't do much running. So I'll laugh all you want. But it's a good time. And I hope that you had a great time uh, with your family and you were able to enjoy just kind of a relaxing weekend. But Christmas is coming, and we would love for you all to join us for our Christmas services. Uh, We're going to have four identical services over the span of two days. The first is the 22nd, the Sunday. Uh, It will be the regular service times at uh, 9 and 1045 in the morning. And then Christmas Eve will be two more services identical to the ones on Sunday morning at 530 and 7. And so we'd love for you to bring your family, your friends, join us for that. We're going to create an intimate setting that you're just kind of coming into a home and we're going to celebrate Christmas together and we want to do that as a family. There'll be cookies, all that good stuff and we are going to have postcards in future weeks in the programs that you are able to kind of maybe if you want to hand it to your neighbor, a friend, a family member to invite them. It's just a good way to start a conversation and say, hey, why don't you join me this Christmas season at Grace? But I love Christmas, okay? I'm a big fan of Christmas. I love the season. I love everything about it. And this year, uh, my son is 11 months old, and so it's his very first Christmas. So we get to walk him through the Christmas goodness starting today, I think, till the 25th and all that comes with it. But I love Christmas and everything about it. I love the gifts, right? First and foremost, the gifts, not just getting, but also giving, right? The exchange of gifts is a blast. Uh, I love the decorations and the trees and all that good stuff. So back here, I'm a big fan of. Uh, We have not set up our Christmas decor yet and our Christmas tree, but how many of you have set up all that good stuff, the tree at least? I'm impressed. Well done, everybody, right? So that is coming along. Christmas music I've been listening to for a little while here. My favorite song is White Christmas. I love that song. I don't know what yours may be. I'm a big fan of the Christmas food. I love this time of year because you go from Thanksgiving and it's just like awesome and then you go to Christmas and you got more food and awesome cookies and all that good stuff, the desserts. And in my family, uh, Christmas morning for breakfast, we have something called, I think people call it monkey bread. Basically, it's just a bunch of bread with butter and cinnamon sugar all around it. It's a beautiful thing, right? And so we have that for Christmas morning. I love Christmas and ultimately, I love family time. Right, just enjoying time with the family, with kids, all that good stuff, right? Christmas is awesome. And I remember Christmas, uh, one Christmas in particular, where it stands out to me above the rest. I was in elementary school. I was probably in second or third grade. And when I was that age, my grandparents lived out in Pennsylvania. So I had one set that lived in Pittsburgh and then one that lived uh, more eastern PA. And so we would do kind of the travel, the journey for Christmas. We'd go to the one set and then we would travel to the next. And so we were on to the second set of grandparents, and it was Christmas Eve and Christmas Day that we were going to spend with them. We were really excited. And my cousins, my aunts and uncles, they all came out, and so it was just this big family time. We got there Christmas Eve, kids are running around, all the cousins were hanging out, we're having a good time, and then 
they put us to bed Christmas Eve, like, I don't know how we got sleep. We got maybe two or three hours of sleep. We're so excited. You wake up at four, you run into the parents' room, you get them awake. They're like, not yet, two or three hours left. You're like, okay, and then you go back and you're just sitting in your room. You're like, what are we going to do now? You know, all the gifts are downstairs. And so we go back in about six or seven. They're like, okay, let us get our coffee first, and then we'll be out and all that good stuff. And now I understand why they did that. So we got out. It's Christmas morning. The trees lit up. There's gifts all around the tree, tons of gifts for all the family members. All the family piles into the room, and we start by reading the Christmas story, right? We read from Luke, the Christmas story, and then my grandpa prays, and we start opening gifts. And I remember this one gift I got in particular. It was this bow and arrow that had like a suction cup at the end of it, and so you could like stick it against walls. So I was like flinging this thing around the whole room. People were like dodging it, sticking to the walls. I was having a blast. My grandpa, he was a pastor, and so right next door was his church, and so we all voyaged over there for Christmas dinner which I told you I love the food. And so I was really excited about this. We went to the hall down in the basement and just had like this buffet of food. It was awesome. I remember, I don't know why I remember this piece in particular, but I remember there was pickles there and I ate quite a few pickles, okay? And so I, I enjoyed the pickles and then the rest of the food. And I think I, you'll understand why in a minute why I remember that piece in particular. But I, I, I started to go through the buffet line, got all that, ate my food, enjoyed time, and then like just like that. It hits. And I tell you what, it felt like one minute I was doing fine, the next it just was not good, and I started to feel kind of these rumblings in my stomach. I just started to feel terrible. I went up to my mom and dad, and I said, I don't know, something's not right. I don't feel good. I think, I think, and it happened, and I threw up on Christmas Day. It was awful. It was awful. And so I went to my parents. Like I said, they got me into the house, back to the house. They got me into the restroom. They got me kind of sorted around, and I still felt awful, right? Physically, I was like, it was just terrible. Stomach hurt. It was kind of like the flu. Maybe it was food poison. I don't know what it was. It just was awful. But mentally and emotionally, I was a wreck, okay? I was a, me- a wreck mentally and emotionally because I asked this question. I remember this very clearly. I asked this question to my parents. I said, Mom and Dad, why would Jesus let me get sick on his birthday? It just doesn't make sense, right? I was just a wreck. I'm like this time of just awesome love and joy and all these Christmas gifts. Why on Christmas would I get sick? And here's the thing, here's the thing, that maybe some of you today are in the proverbial bathroom and you are asking the same question, but you're asking that to Jesus. You're like, why Jesus in this time of peace? We're talking about peace this Christmas. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men, right? Peace to you and your family. We go around and say that, and you're like, where is it at, Jesus? I am sick. There is no peace at all, and I'm asking this question, why? It's Christmas, right? It just doesn't make sense. And we might be asking this question for two different reasons. I think the first reason is this, okay? We might be sitting there, and we're like, why? Because, because we look at the news, and our world is not at peace, you would know this if you watch the news, you read newspapers, or you just have a phone, right? Our world is not at peace. Countries are fighting countries, cultures fighting cultures, races fighting races, Republicans fighting Democrats, families fighting families, Ohio State fighting Michigan. That wasn't much of a game yesterday. It was pathetic. Michigan, come on. But seriously, in our world today, there is no peace, it seems like, when you look at the news, but it goes even further than that. You might be sitting in that bathroom and you might be asking it because your world is not at peace. 
you have no peace right now in your world. And maybe because that's the relationships that you have, the people that you're around, like friends and family, I'm not at peace with them. There is tension every time we get together. Thanksgiving, Christmas, it's awful. There's just tension. Maybe it's day to day. Maybe it's at your workplace. Maybe there's just no peace and you're like, I'm stressed out of my mind. I don't enjoy what I do and let's not even get started with my boss. There's just tension. I don't have peace there. Maybe it's finances. Some of you, maybe it's financially you're not at peace Right? Some Dave Ramsey there. Maybe you're not financially there and you're like, I don't know what to do. And Christmas just brings up this tension. You're like, what are we going to do this year? Maybe for some of you, it's your marriage. You're like, we're just not at peace right now. There's just tension everywhere. We don't know what to do. Here's the thing. There may not be any peace. You might just be feeling panicked. There's tons of problems or tons of pressure in your life currently. And that's where you're sitting. I remember as I was in the bathroom, then they took me to one of the uh, bedrooms so that I could lay down and kind of chill and, you know, kind of figure things out. And I remember hearing my cousins and my siblings running around the bottom of the house. They're running around the first floor and they're having a good time. They're playing with their gifts. They're excited. They're laughing. They're, they're having a blast. I just remember thinking even more, I'm like, why? Why is this happening now? Why is this happening now? And you might be sitting there and you're watching other people and you're like, how can they be running around so happy? How can they be running around such out of peace? It doesn't make sense. Don't they see what's going on around them? Don't they see my world? And here's where we're going to go. We're going to flesh out this understanding. This is what I know. And you can write this down. Happy people are at peace. Happy people are at peace. Right? And, and when you look at happy people and when you walk around and you might perceive someone to be happy, inevitably this question comes up of why are they happy? Why are they happy and, and how can they be at peace? Don't, don't they see the stresses of the world? Don't they see what's going on? And we can assume, it's what we can assume, okay? I'm not saying everybody assumes this, but I assume this, okay? I can assume that they are at peace because of things, stuff, or situational circumstances. That they're at peace because it's the Christmas season, they're going to get gifts, they get a nice large bonus, right? They get this stuff and that stuff, and that's why they're at peace. They just have it going for them. And what we are going to learn in this series is this, that no experience, situation, or circumstance brings peace. That peace is not situational, it's relational, we talked about this uh, in the prayer series uh, when we talked about hope. Hope cannot be centered on situations or circumstances because just like that, it can disappear. And so when we talk about peace, peace does not come from situational, circumstantial things. It comes from relational and relationships. And this is what I would write down. Happy people are at peace with themselves, with others, and with God. Happy people are at peace with themselves, with others, and God. Okay? The biblical understanding of peace, okay, when writers, authors of books of the Bible would write down peace, this is what they're talking about. The definition that they're talking about is it means a completeness or a contentment. There's a complete or a content understanding to peace. And so when we talk about this, and this is what the series is going to be bathed in, this is what we're going to talk about, and I'll get to the next point that will illustrate it even more, that there is this complete, content understanding of the relationship with yourself, with others, and with God. You're content with it. It's complete. You're at peace. There's not tension. There's not divides. It's full. It's there. So the series, in a nutshell, if you want to know, 
This is what I would say this series is all about. Peace with myself and others starts with God, or with peace with God. Peace with myself and others starts with peace with God. That's the series in a nutshell. That's where we're going to go. So you can write that down. You're like, sweet, I got it all. I don't have to come. Keep coming back, please. Keep coming back to future weeks because here's the thing. Here's the thing. Today we're going to talk about peace with God. But for some of you, for some of you, you look at that and you're like, I don't know, Joel, because peace with myself, you don't know my background, you don't know my worries, you don't know my mistakes, you don't know what I've done, you don't know who I am, you don't know that it's impossible to have peace with myself. There's no way. There's no way, and I would challenge you, keep coming back, we're going to talk about that. For some of you, you're like, peace with others, how is that possible? You don't know my family, you don't know my friends, you don't know the neighbors, you don't know my coworkers, my boss. Like peace with others, that is a far off dream. I can't even imagine. Right? You're wrestling with this each and every day and you're like, don't tell me like that is an easy step. It's not, but we're gonna talk about it. Because in this Christmas season, in this Christmas season where we talk about peace on earth, goodwill to men, peace to you and your family, right? What does it mean to have peace? What does that look like? Today we're gonna start with peace with God, like I said. So I'd have you write this down. I am not at peace with God. Psych, right? You're like, why well, aren't we talking about peace with God? We are. But we have to start here. This might be confusing. This might be something that's like, what in the world? Did we just talk about? It? I'm not at peace with God. Colossians 1.21 says it like this. Paul's writing to the church in Colossae. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Romans 5.10 says this. For if while we were God's enemies, right, that we are enemies with God. God, and as humans, we are naturally not at peace with God. That's how we all start, that, that we are enemies. That's what Paul's saying. We start there. There is a divide. There's a conflict. There's a tension that's in the way from us having a relationship with God. So what is that conflict? What is that tension? Two things. We're going to talk about those two things today, okay? And they're kind of, they're connected, but we're going to talk about them separately. It's this, sin and my sin. That's what I'd have you write down. Sin and my my sin. It all starts with sin. That's why we cannot have peace with God. So we're going to talk about them both. We're going to break them down into these two categories because we're going to talk about the overarching human nature, humankind dealing with sin. We're going to talk about my sin. Not, not my sin, but our sin personally, okay? That's where we're going to go because all of us are born with sin. Romans 5, 12 lays it out like this. Therefore, just as sin entered, we'll stop there, entered, it alludes to the fact that it wasn't created when God created the heavens and the earth and the universe. Okay, it entered somehow, and it entered the world through one man. That man, we would believe in scripture, would say is Adam, the first man created, and his wife Eve, right? They had this interaction in the garden with a serpent. We said sin would enter through that one man, Adam, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people, that death is a natural consequence of sin. That death eternally is a natural consequence of sin, but also, also, sin can lead to death of relationships, of marriages, of finances, of families, of reputations, and just be put all to the side because of the sin that we indulge in. Then lastly, Paul says this, because all sins, right? Everybody is born with sin, there's not like a gate that everybody walks through and, oh, I missed it. No, everybody's born with sin. 
It's just natural. It's just human nature. That's where we all start. Uh, Andy Stanley's a pastor in Atlanta, Georgia, and he puts it this way. He says, understanding that we're all born into sin is kind of like being born into a nation or a country. Like, I am an American because I was born in the United States of America. That that's the country that I was born into. And because I was born into that country, and you may have the same story, maybe not, whatever country you're born into comes with all its benefits and its consequences, right? The benefits of being born as an American citizen would be freedom. There's vision, right? Dreaming it is a wealthy nation that we get to sit in a building and worship our God. There's a lot of pluses to it. There's consequences to it, too. For some of us, we might believe that country music is a consequence to being American. I would disagree. I love country music, right? But Andy Stanley said this. One of the consequences that we might not think of or may think of is that generally we only know one language growing up. That when he would run into different uh, people from different ethnicities or different backgrounds or different countries, and me the same, when I'd run into like foreign exchange students at school, I realized that they knew a lot more languages than I did. They grew up learning four or five, maybe from their family, maybe at school, and I just know English. There might be a consequence. And what he's trying to illustrate here is this, that all of us are born into the nation of sin, not by our choosing, it just is. We do not choose where we are born into country-wise. Neither do we choose if we're born into sin or not. We just are. And it comes with all the consequences that life brings at it. And Romans 8, 7 says this. I think this is powerful. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. We are all born with a sinful nature. We just have that. You're like, why is my kid smarting off? Why is my kid not listening? They're born with a sinful nature, right? We're almost there. My son, he's throwing his head back when he doesn't get his way. It's really cute and really, like, scary at the same time, right? He's born with a sinful nature. Like, he doesn't like the word no. Like, we're all there. But we all, at the same time, because we know we're born sinful, we're born into this nation of sin, we all will try to make peace with God. Well, how does that happen? I think there's a couple ways that we try to make peace with God in regards to dealing with our sin. Some of us will cover it. We'll cover our sin. We'll cover it with religion. We'll cover it with culture and what the world tells us to do. And it's like, well, it's not too bad. It's not, we'll figure it out. Look, I'm going to church. I'm doing these things. Forget about it. For some of us, we'll try to control it. We'll try to control our sin. We'll try to like, well, don't worry about it. I got it figured out. And we'll try to move past it. For others of us, for others of us, and this was my story, we try to behave through it. We try to behave through it. Well, I can behave my way into making peace with God if I just do enough good things, if I'm just at church enough, if I just obey all my parents' rules, all that stuff, then I will make sure that I am set. We try to figure out how to make peace with God. And Romans 3.23 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This verse that Paul writes to the church of Rome points me to the reality of this. I cannot make peace with God. I cannot make peace with God. Right? For some of us, that might be shocking, maybe the first time you've heard that. Right? But none of us can make peace with God. I would illustrate it like this. On the screen, you'll see uh, two cliffs. 
okay, with kind of a chasm in between. On one side, just imagine that's you and me represented by the gentleman that's standing there on one side, so on the left side, and then God, obviously, on, on the right side. And here's the picture, that we are all not at peace with God because of our sin, that we all stand on opposite sides. We are enemies because of our sin, and our sin creates this chasm. And it is much, that picture does not do justice to the depth and the width that our sin is. That chasm is bigger and much wider than we could imagine. And we are separated. And there is nothing that I can do. I cannot repel that. I cannot do anything to get over to God by my own being. I can't create a bridge. There's not a ladder big enough. There's nothing. I cannot do it. And so when we are born and we're living this life, because of our sin, this is where we start. All of us. Whether you've been in church for, you know, forever or not, this is where we all start, right? Behaving my way to God is impossible. Romans 3.20 says this, therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says this, Paul writes this, I think it's powerful for us, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. There's nothing that I can do to earn the favor of God. There's nothing, and Paul says it very clearly, he says it's a gift, it's not by your works, so you cannot boast. You cannot boast that I made it over the chasm. Look at me. No, 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 you, you, it's not by your works. It's by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. And I can try to cover it, yet I will still carry it. I can try to control it, and yet I will lose control. I can try to behave through it or behave past it, and yet I will screw up. There's not enough Bible studies, church services, charities. There's not enough service projects, prayers, scripture to read that will save me, that will help me make peace with God. It's impossible. That chasm will not shrink based off of how good you are. It's impossible. There's nothing I can personally do to make peace with God, yet God said he wants to make peace with you and me. And that's our next point. God makes peace with me. Because there's nothing I can do. Like Paul, Paul writes, and he's going to write here, there's not like good, righteous, like maybe someone would save him. Right? But God came and he said, I save you even in your lowest moments. That's when I want to come save you. Romans 5, 1 through 8, we're going to look through. That's the biggest passage we're going to look at, the chunk. So if you want to turn there, it's also going to be on the screens. Paul's writing to the church of Rome. And what he does is he lays out very clearly, okay, what does it look like, this peace with God? How do I understand that? How's that play out in my life? And he's writing to this church in Rome that is kind of wrestling and even suffering in the midst of what he's writing. We're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 5, okay? And he gives them some hope to understand this piece. Therefore, it says, since we have been justified through faith. Let me stop there. Justified can be kind of a big churchy word. Basically, it's to be made right with God. That when we say yes to Jesus, instead of God seeing us in our sin and the, the wrong deeds and all the junk that we bring to, he says, I wrap you in Christ's righteousness in Jesus' perfection, and that's what I see when you say yes to Jesus, that you are made right through faith. 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Verses 6 through 8, I think, are some of the most powerful uh, section of verses, especially understanding this idea of peace. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, sinners in our mess, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He said, you were ungodly, you're sinners, you're in your mess, and that's exactly when God sent Jesus to save you and me. He said, sometimes people will die for a good person, maybe a righteous person, whatever it may be, but no, no, no. Christ came even while you were still in your sin to make peace with you. It's powerful, and it creates this illustration. When we look back at the cliff, we see this, that instead of this chasm being there, Jesus came down to this earth as a human being, he lived this life. That's why we celebrate Christmas, the birth of Jesus. He lived this life perfectly. He taught and he did miracles and he lived a perfect life. He led people. And all of a sudden, religious leaders got him, arrested him, put him on the cross to die a death that he didn't deserve, but die a death in our place. He said, I'm gonna die for your sins so that you may have eternal life if you say yes to me, but also life with meaning and purpose. And he says, look, the chasm, I have covered it. You can walk and say yes to me and walk into a relationship with God when you say yes to me. It's not by my own doing. It's nothing that I've done. It's only because Jesus took the cross for me. No matter how bad of a sinner you think you are, no matter your past, junk, mess, he says, say yes to me, you are forgiven. You have grace and mercy and I love you and want to have a relationship with you. That's where the picture goes now that what Jesus did is he took the cross so that he could allow us, he was sent to allow us to have peace with God. Here's, here's something I found, that this understanding of peace is not based on my feelings, but it's based on evidence of what Jesus did for me. It's not based on, it's not based on my feelings and how I feel each day, it's based on forensic evidence. It's like a crime scene so when they walk in, they have forensic investigators that come in, they investigate the crime scene, and then all of a sudden, right, they figure out the details and they come back with the evidence. And what I think Paul is saying, he's like, look, this is the evidence that you have peace with God. It's Jesus. He bridged the gap for you. You do not have to question anymore. You may wake up and may question and may, no, no, no. evidence right there through Jesus. That's what he's talking about. So that leads us to this. Peace with God starts by saying yes to Jesus. Peace with God starts by saying yes to Jesus. This peace is based on forensic evidence, not feelings. God took the first step to make peace with me by sending Jesus. That's what he's talking about, being justified, being made right through Jesus in his sight. 
We see in Romans 1 or 4, 1 through 3, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That no works, and what he's saying here, no works, no church, no Bible, no good deeds, no athletics, no, I, uh, no story is going to bridge that gap. You cannot be good enough. That, that following the law to a T, following the rules to a T will never get you there, but it's only by grace and faith through Jesus. That he actually, and Isaiah actually says that these righteous acts that we try to do, they're all dirty rags. Isaiah 64, 6 says, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Right? They're junk. Try to present that to God, it'll get you nowhere. And that's, that's your righteous acts. Imagine what your unrighteous acts are like. He's like, that should blow your mind. And this was my story in college. In college, I thought that my righteous acts could get me somewhere. I grew up in the church. I knew all the ABCs of Jesus and following the letter of, you know, how to do church and Sunday school and all that stuff. I got to college and, you know, there's a lot of freedom. There's a lot of different, uh, you know, people and beliefs and all that stuff. And I'm like, I'm going to stay true. I'm going to stay true to what I believe, and yet at the same time, what I did is I got to church this time. If I read my Bible in the morning, I read this book, and I do this, and I do this, and I do this, then I will be living this life of peace with God. I was thinking about this last night. Even though I was trying to do all of these things, I would come back to my dorm room, and I felt completely lost and at no peace at all. Because what I was trying to do was fill the gap of what's already been done for me with what I thought I could do. That, that I would try to do these things that I'm like, well, I'm a Christ follower, so these things are gonna lead me to peace with God and rather Jesus, God is saying to us today, no, no, I've done it already, just say yes to my son. That's it. And so for some of us today, peace has eluded us. It has eluded us for a long time and you are completely drained. You're like, I don't have peace. Maybe it's work life. Maybe it's, maybe it's family situation, maybe it's friend situation, maybe it's neighbors, maybe it's, it's just, you know, craziness is happening circumstantially right now. And you're like, I'm just not at peace. But maybe it's sin in your life. You're like, that's what has created this chasm between me having peace with God. That's what's getting in the way. And for you this morning, for you this morning, it's taking that step of saying yes to Jesus saying, yes, Jesus, I want to say yes to you because I know I cannot make my way to God. I cannot have peace with God except through you. That's where it starts. If we're ever going to get to peace with myself or peace with others, it starts with peace with God. We can't go any further unless we say yes to Jesus. So for some of us, that's the step we need to take is recognizing our sin, recognizing that we do not have peace right now. No matter where we're at in life, Right? And saying yes to Jesus and then taking the steps from there. It's not behavior, but it's belief. And Colossians 1, 13 through 14 says this, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When we say yes to Jesus, we are redeemed, right? But he forgives us no matter what we've done in the past. There ain't nothing we can do that he won't forgive us for. He says, Say yes to me. Forgiveness will come and you will have peace out of that. 
But here's the thing. We talked about sin, right? But not only sin, not only does that create conflict, but my sin, my sin will create conflict, right? Sin over here is the overarching human nature, human behavior. We're born with this. We live with this. The journey is plagued with it. And we say yes to Jesus. We are forgiven. We have peace with God, right? We have a new identity. That new identity is as part of the family of God. He's now our father. We are now his children. It's a powerful image there. We go from enemies to children of God. 1 John 3, 1 says this, see what great love the father, that's God, has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. When we say yes to Jesus, we join the family. It's not like God's like, hey, cool, you did it, neat, but he's like, come be a part of my family. Sit around the table, enjoy meals with me. I want you to converse with me. It's a totally different relationship. And this is an amazing identity switch. And it's interesting, as we go from enemies to children of God, it's interesting, as I talk to students when I was at Norton, but also adults, I'd ask questions like this. Probably not the best way to ask a question, but I would in small group time or things of that nature, is like, how is your relationship with God doing or going, or how has that, that been for you? It'd be interesting, some of the answers that I would get, especially from students, and they'd say, you know, I just don't feel as connected right now to God. I just don't feel like, you know, me and God are on the same wavelength. I don't know. I haven't had conversations with him recently, whatever it may be, right? There's kind of this tension. It's like, yes, they've said yes to Jesus. They have a relationship with Jesus. He's their father. They're their uh, children, right? But there's this tension of like, I don't know where it's at. And I think what Paul wants us to see and what God ultimately wants us to see today is that being in the family of God does not relieve all the tension that can come in this life. That it's not like, oh, everything's going to be perfect and fine. That even in the midst of a relationship with our Father, that day in and day out, there will be times that maybe we do not feel at peace with our Father. Maybe it's because we haven't had a conversation with Him in a while. Maybe we're not in the scriptures and we're like, oh, I just, I don't know where, where he's leading me. Maybe it's, we're not bringing our prayers and our desires and our needs and, and praying to God and saying, God, this is, this is what's going on. But I also think, I also think it comes back to what we're talking about, my sin. I think that my sin, when I choose to do what I want to do, that it can create a tension, a divide in the peace with God, in our relationship with God. Just like, just like when you have earthly parents and you done mess up and you're like, there's just no peace. I remember there was this time when I went months Maybe, I don't know, weeks, months where I was just on a rampage. I was an awful, it was elementary. There's a long story I can tell later by, about why I was acting this way, but there was months where I was just disrespectful. I wasn't listening. I was torturing. It was just awful for my parents. There was one day in particular I was mouthing off to my mom, disrespecting her, which is a big no-no when I grew up. And my dad came home, and my dad, you know, he would usually lay down the line, and I was pretty like, it was a good fearful of my dad, like he was the disciplinary. And I remember he came home and I, I just let him have it. Like it was just this weird occurrence where I just let him have it. I was standing on my bed, I was pointing at him and I was yelling at him as like a nine-year-old, which is never a good idea, right? And his discipline method that day, he was going to ground me. He just didn't know what else to do. It's been months of this, been months of this craziness. And I stood on my bed and just one by one, he took things out of my room. He just kept taking things out of my room until I was left with just a mattress, a pillow, and a blanket. That's all I had in my room. That was the discipline of the day. 
And I remember after laying in my bed, after that moment, I remember thinking to myself, me and my parents are not at peace at all. They're still my parents. They still love me. They still care about me. They still have compassion for me. They, they still will get me to where I need to go, right? They're supporting me. And yet in that moment, we did not have peace because of what I was doing, because of my actions and my words and where I wanted to go with my life in that moment. Romans 7.15 says this, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. A lot of do's in there, but I think what Paul's alluding to here in Romans is this, that there is a nature inside of us where like, Yep, we want to do that, and yet at the same time, the sinful nature is continually at work trying to pull us into our own selfish desires and wants and what we think we need. And what happens is my sin will wreck my peace with my Father. My sin will wreck my peace with my Father. Right? It's something we don't think about all the time, something we don't pay attention to all the time, but what happens is it wrecks our peace, and inevitably, we will all experience at one time or another a lack of peace because, because of my own sin. We'll experience a lack of peace with our Father in heaven because of the sin, and I create a divide with him. First John 1 John 1.6 says this, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. Do not live out the truth. Right, fellowship, I, I believe, is peace with God. This fellowship that we have with God, and yet when we walk in the darkness in our sin, we're in a lie. We do not live out the truth. The truth of being a child of God, the truth based on our relationship, not our behavior. This is what I write down. This is, we're going to land the ship here. Peace with God continues by saying yes to where Jesus is leading me. Peace with God continues by saying yes to where Jesus is leading me. I told this story, uh, and I won't spend too much time on a series and series ago, months and months ago, when I went backpacking on a trip with some interns and residents from Norton and Bath campuses. And I went on that trip, and we had a, a guide that uh, was a part of the trip, but he knew the trail. And towards the end of the trip, me and my buddy of mine got distracted. It was like squirrel, and you know, it was kind of like craziness, but we saw these berries. We saw berries, and we wanted to eat these fresh, wild berries. So we started eating them. About five minutes into eating these berries, we look over and the group is gone. They left us, rightfully so. We stuck and we want to eat the berries. Like the desire of the berries were more enticing than following the group. And so we started to hike down the trail and it came to like a fork in the road. There's one this way, one this way, one this way. We were supposed to go this way towards the parking lot. We went straight. And so we got lost, okay? And this is like towards the end of the trip, and we have another eight, 10 hours to go travel-wise. So they're all in the parking lot, and me and the buddy go straight up back into the Appalachian Trail. And we start walking, we start walking, and you just know when you're lost and you're like confused, you just don't have a peace about you. And I turned to him, I said, this is not right. Something is not right. And I remember thinking, I'm like, what are we going to do if we get left, like left behind? What is going to happen? You know, I was not at peace. If I were to stay with the guide, there would have been a lot more peace because I trust him, because I can follow him, because he's been on the trail before, because he knows where he is going. And I think that is what Jesus is alluding to when he says, follow me, take my yoke, walk in step with me, trust me, trust that I will lead you to where you need to go. Don't trust your own desires. Don't trust your own selfishness. Don't follow me. 
That's where you need to be hooked into. That's where you need to be lodged into. That's why you read the scripture. That's why you have conversations with God. That's why we surround ourselves with people in community and do life together. Because we need to stay connected in that way. Saying, say yes to where I'm leading you, even, even when it's foggy and does not make sense. You're like, why in the world are we here? Why in the world is he taking me this route? I did not expect this a month ago. I did not expect this a year ago. It's hard. It's rough. You keep leaning into him and you keep allowing him to lead you. You'll slowly start to get out of the fog and you'll see what he sees. And it may be a long, long time before you see that. It's possible. Lastly, I would say this. Start living from peace with God, not for peace with God. Start living from peace with God, not for peace with God. This is extremely important. I had to learn this. I had to learn this in a lot of ways, that my life is not a, a race of trying to make peace with God. I'm not, for, I'm not running for this peace, but I'm running a marathon of life that's based off of what he's done for me from the peace that he has given me, that I can enjoy life a much grander stage in a much grander way when I live from peace, not for peace. So for some of us in this room, for some of us in this room, it starts by saying yes to Jesus. Maybe some of you are in here and you grew up in church. You grew up hearing all the stories, the Bible stories, and you grew up doing the right things and going to church, and yet you never said yes to Jesus. You never put your faith and trust in your Savior He's saying today, stop covering it. Stop trying to control it. Stop trying to behave your way to it. Say yes to me. Say yes to me. Put your life in my hands. I have died for you. and I died for you while you were a sinner, not just when you were good, not just when you thought you were righteous. You were stinky, messy sinner. That's when I died for you. You say yes to me, you're forgiven. And you become a child of God. Say yes to me. You have peace. For some of us, it starts there. For some of us, it starts there. Maybe it's simply praying and recognizing that and saying, Jesus, I say yes to you today. I recognize my sin. I ask for forgiveness, and I want to come to understand and say yes to Jesus and what he's done for me on the cross. Okay, that's where it starts, understanding peace with God, which then will lead into peace with yourself and peace with others. But for some of us, for some of us, today it starts by saying yes to Jesus for the second time, maybe the 200th time, Maybe the thousandth time, it's a daily saying yes to Jesus. And it's not waking up basing this peace with God off of your feelings, but basing it off of the evidence that Jesus did come to save you and what he has done. You do not have to replicate by doing, 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 doing. It's never going to get anywhere. It's filthy rags. He's saying, trust in me. Let me lead you because when I lead you, you will be able to rest in that. I think we're in a culture that is so distracted and going, 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 right? We're just naturally going and it can kind of flood into our spiritual lives. I gotta go, 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 go. And Jesus is like, no, no, if you say yes to me, you can rest that I have finished it, that it is done, that you do not have to do anything to get relationship with God or get into peace with God. You can rest in that and live your life out of that. You can also trust me and follow. Like there is peace with that. 
that it's not on you, that it's on me to lead and you get to follow and we take walking step and step and step and step through hard decision, through hard circumstance, through people situations, through surprising moments, through things that you just are like, I don't know what to do with this. That when you say yes to me and you say yes to me leading you, that you can have peace knowing that you are allowed to follow me. You make decisions based off of that. Next two weeks, we're going to talk about peace with ourselves and peace with others. And we have to have this conversation before we have those conversations. Because you will never have peace with yourself or peace with others unless you have peace with God. It's very important. And so if today's the day you say yes to Jesus, we want to celebrate with you, right? For some of you might be just kind of getting in your mind, what in the world is God challenging me with? But here's the thing. I would love to see you all in future weeks. I think God has a lot to say to us about these hard concepts of having peace with ourselves and peace with others because in the world around us, it's a foreign concept. It doesn't make sense. It's just something we flippantly talk about and hope that it happens. What does it look like to have that? Why don't I pray and then I'll let you all go.